Greetings from Austin, Texas. I'm sitting here at my buddy Cameron Smith's house here in Austin. Just drove in yesterday. I took my time getting in, did some roadside stuff. I stopped off in Pittsburgh, Texas, and I saw the world's largest pilgrim head, a huge statue of a pilgrim's head about the size of a house. And Judy Hubbard, my friend and wife of Ray Wiley Hubbard, said that he was a local businessman, and way back in the day when she sold cars, she sold him a car at least once. I was happy to hear that. I drove two hours out of the way so I could go to Paris, Texas. And Paris, Texas is always it's one of my favorite movies, one of my five favorites. And if you catch me on the right day, you could probably get me to admit that it's my favorite. But um, I drove there and just went around the town. I saw this giant Eiffel Tower replica with a cowboy hat on top. I went to a local graveyard there and I found a, to a tombstone that was about 100 years old that had Jesus wearing cowboy boots, only in Texas. I made my way towards Dallas. I stopped off and visited Bonnie and Clyde's graves. And I made my way downtown and visited the building where Robert Johnson had his second and final recording session back in 1937. I pulled up and there was a homeless shelter across the street and there were a lot of people, probably 50 or 70 people, just everywhere waiting around. And it looked like the building was under construction. They were renovating the building, which is a good thing. I saw a door was open. So I looked around and there wasn't anybody inside. So I walked inside the door and I'd done some research over the years and I knew which room Robert Johnson recorded in. So I decided I was going to get brave and I walked upstairs and I went to that room and I stood around and, and thought to myself, this is the room where he recorded Hellhound on my trail from four until late, traveling Riverside Blues and a whole bunch of other, you know, Love and Vain, a lot of other classics. I pulled out my phone and listened to from four until late, which might be my favorite Robert Johnson song. And I just listened to it echo off the walls in there and it just sounded right. I stood there for a little bit and took it in and then went back downstairs and got in my car and drove to Austin and was feeling pretty good about the world. Hi friends, this is Otis Gibbs, and you're listening to Thanks for Giving a Damn. I'm sitting here at my buddy Cameron's house in Austin, Texas. This is a personal journal. This is a bit of an experiment. I like to say right up front that I haven't the slightest idea what I'm doing, but I decided to do it anyway. This show was founded with the idea that there are only two people in art that matter. There's a creative individual and the person experiencing it, and everything else is an artificial filter. This is a way for me to share things with you guys without any filters whatsoever. My guest this week is Ryan Bingham. Ryan is a singer and a songwriter who lives in Los Angeles. You can find out everything you need to know about Ryan at ryanbinghammusic.com. We've been trying to make this happen for probably six months now. Ryan had been in Nashville a couple times when I was out of town and we weren't able to meet up. So it's nice to get to meet up when we were, we were here in Austin. And uh, I went down to his hotel room. And we had a lot of good laughs 
you know, both during the recording and, and afterwards. And uh, I enjoyed his company. He seems like a really good guy. Here's Ryan Bingham. Out there in New Mexico, my family, uh, they ranched out there between Hobbs and Carlsbad. Those are the two kind of towns and out there. And uh, about 40 miles just uh, west of Hobbs, my great-granddad or great-great-granddad homesteaded out there and started that ranch. And um, my grandfather ranched there. And then my dad and uncles all grew up on that ranch. And then about just right before I was born, I think they sold that ranch and everybody started going into the oil field. I remember my uncle having a couple of horses too. Even after they had sold that ranch, he had a place just north of town, and and I think that might have been like the first spanking that I ever had was being like three years old and walking behind a horse, and um, you know my uncle grabbing me up and you know getting on to me pretty good about you know not walking behind a horse if afraid I was going to get kicked or something like that, you know. But uh, I was around it for a pretty young age. My uncle actually he rode bulls as well and. He was a professional bull rider and he had a little round pen there in his house and he had these two bulls. He had one name was 18 Wheeler and he's a big brindle bull with huge horns the size of baseball bats. And the other bull he had was a, a Charlet bull. He's kind of a white colored bull and they called him a snowball. And both of them would just both spin and they both really bucked and they were both really mean too. They'd run you over. And I remember being a kid and just being out there with him, and he would ride those bulls on his own with nobody around, just me. And uh, he'd pull his own rope, and he had this kind of latch that he could pull, you know, to open the gate. And those bulls, once they heard that latch, they would they'd hit, hit that gate and, you know, kind of leave the chute on their own. And he'd ride them out there by himself with just me around. And, gosh, I couldn't have been three or four or something like that. Yeah, I, t I still remember it very vividly of just, you know, him loading those bulls up and me hanging out on the back of the buck and shoot and just kind of watching him and, and just being around it and the smell. And, you know, I could still see those two bulls and what they look like. And they would come out of the chute spinning and hit the back of that. He had, he ran, uh, it was like a pipe corral round pin with cable, like inch, inch around cables that ran through and on, where those cables attached around on each side of her like garage door springs. So when those bulls would hit the, the fence, those cables would stretch a little bit, you know, man, those bulls would spin out there and hit that fence and just shake the whole ground like an earthquake. And <laughs> the tornado was on, man. It was wild. <laughs> man, I don't really remember too much other folks when I was little like that. It was just him, you know, I'd just be around him doing it. And then, uh, but whenever we moved back from Bakersfield back to West Texas, um, I started riding steers and going to junior rodeos and all that. And so it was, I was kind of around it quite a bit. Yeah. Have you broken bones? Yeah, I have. I've broken quite a few. <laughs> Knocked all these teeth out. That's why they're all so white. <laughs> I just broke my collarbone last year, too. <laughs> yeah, I've had, a, I've had my share. Mm. I saw a, a thing on PBS years ago where they were talking about prehistoric man mm -hmm. and um, when they would look at the bones and the bone structure and all the breaks and everything that they would have, the only thing that they had to compare it to in modern culture is bull riders. Oh, yeah. And yeah. how bull riders have yeah. less, uh, they feel the pain a little less because they've had so much of it. <laughs> man, I don't know if it, it still hurts. 
I started going to junior rodeos when I was 10 or 11, and then I kept on riding up through junior high and high school and um, even went to Tarleton State University in Stephenville, Texas for a couple of years and rode bulls for the rodeo team there. And then I got my pro cards for or my permit for a couple of years after that, and then I got into playing music and, and didn't pursue it anymore. Well, I don't know, the be, you know, for me as being a kid, you know, there was a there was a record that uh, my uncle had. It was Red Steagall, and it was uh, uh, and he had it on vinyl. It was called "For All My Cowboy Friends," and it was all the songs about rodeos and all of that, and going down the road with your buddies and things like that. And so that was something, you know, when I was ten, eleven years old, me and my buddies, when you know, my dad or uncle or my grandfather would haul us around to these junior rodeos on the weekend. We'd always listen to those songs, so they're pretty uh nostalgic for me still you know my grandfather and them were the closest thing around me that were actual real cowboys you know that that you know homesteaded out there and really ranched their whole lives and kind of neighboring ranches around there They're, it's pretty sparse out there you know that kind of country out there it takes a lot of land to run cattle out there like i mean that ranch that we had was i think 72 square miles you know and, the, and your neighbor's Place would be that big as well this you know that the uh, the quality of the grass and the, the range up there can only handle so many head of cattle per acre you know not like kind of some places you know around central texas where you don't need as much land because the, the grass has a lot more nutrients in it to support more cattle but um, um so there was it was you know big places and not a lot of people you know so your closest contact of neighbors and those the folks that really did it out there. And about the time I was born too, you know, a lot of the oil field was really booming out there in the eighties and there was a lot more money to be had in that. So I was around probably a lot more roughnecks, you know, than I was around the, you know, real ranchers. I don't know, my grandfather's favorite movies is called High Low Country. He always told me he's like, that's pretty close to how some of that stuff was, you know, for him. I guess in his in his time doing it. But uh yeah, it was pretty wild out there. Do you have horses now? I do, yeah. I just recently got another horse, actually, from some friends of ours. That uh, that ranch that we had there west of Hobbs, or my family had, the people right across the highway, the Smith family, um, still ranch there, and they, they've been there for a long time, and I've still stayed in touch with them. And I recently got a, a horse from those folks and started roping a little bit and, and – uh, so it's been nice. I, I missed it a bunch, you know, just kind of getting back around it. So it's been fun. Are you pretty good at the tricks with the roping and all that? Oh, I got a couple of little tricks, but I'm not. I'm not really that that handy <laughs> with it. So <laughs> long story. I went over to Paris, France, for a bit and worked in this Wild West show. And there was a couple of guys from Mexico that were working in that show that could do all the charro stuff you know, on horses and really work a rope like an artist. It's pretty pretty amazing to see those guys that really know how to do it. It was actually a, it was a bu real Buffalo Bills Wild West show. It was a kind of a recreation of that, and they had it at Euro Disney over there. And they flew a bunch of guys over from the States, Indians and Cowboys, and, you know, guys from all over from Texas to Montana and uh, uh, Indians from, like, Navajo and Sioux and uh, a couple of Apache guys and, um, and they, this is a real you know, reenactment of the Buffalo Bills Wild West show, and I had a cowboy part in the show for a bit. And Yeah, it was a pretty good experience. It was definitely a very humbling experience being a young kid that never had really been outside of Texas, you know, and, you know, the States to 
it was great to get out and see it, you know, a bit of the rest of the world and, and, and realize that there are a lot of people in the world that live different ways and, you know, there's a lot more to it, you know, than maybe just what you're taught growing up. Or I'd went to, to France to that Huawei, so I lived in around New Braunfels in this in Austin for a couple of years, and uh, I started getting gigs playing out there at, at Pootie's Hilltop in Perdinalis, Willie's old road manager, Pootie's place, and I'd met him a time then, and I think I think I maybe just kind of met him once, you know, around that when I was playing out there, and then I met him over in in, in Europe when I was working in that Wild West show. Um, they were doing a tour over there when they were playing in London and me and a, a friend of mine that I was living with over there at the time took the train from Paris and went to London and uh, ran into Pootie on the street in London, <laughs> England. And we were going to the show, I mean, so, but to run into Pootie, you know, Pootie Lockett in London just randomly, you know, the day before the show. And he was like, man, come on backstage, you know, and so we got to hang out and and we got to, you know, hang out with Willie and, and see the show at the, I think it was at the Royal Albert Hall there in London, which is just a beautiful venue. And um, they had kind of an after party there in the hotel. And we we went up to this after party and there wasn't really anybody there. Everybody had left and it was just me and my friend Lucas left at the bar. And Willie came walking out of the elevator in his track suit with a <laughs> couple of Budweiser beers and <laughs> walked up and sat next to us at the bar and said, man, I'm... You guys look mind if I hang out with y'all? And they're like, hell yeah, let's do it. <laughs> Sat there and had a couple of beers with him that night, and then, uh, and then later down, you know, down the line, when I started playing music and moved back to the states, I did a couple of tours with him. Toured with him on the West Coast and gotten to play the picnic a couple of times. So, Booty's a legendary figure. I mean, we worked with Willie for a long, long oh, time. Oh gosh, yes, yeah. And there's just so many great stories floating yeah. around about him. I I mm -hmm. got on a local road crew in Indianapolis once mm -hmm. to load in for Willie and mm -hmm. um Pootie was directing traffic of all of us knuckleheads that didn't know what we were doing yeah and uh man we got everything in there I mean he knew how where everybody needed to be and would tell you exactly where you needed to be I got to carry Willie's amp up on stage and it, <laughs> he told us all to get the hell out and they carried trigger out and put it on stage yeah and, uh, but he's one of the more impressive road managers I've ever met Man, I learned a lot from those guys, you know, and, and Pootie, too. He was really nice to me and really uh, always real supportive. I remember I played out there one night, and I was kind of this my story about Pootie. Is I spent a week at Pootie's house one night. because <laughs> <laughs> I, I went out there, and I played his bar, and I got real drunk. And, and I'd lived, I was living in New Braunfels at the time, and that was a good kind of hour and a half drive and late at night through the hill country, and I was too two in the morning by the time I'd got done there. And he's like, man, why don't you just stay there? You might just stay here at my house. And I was like, all right. <clears throat> so um, I went and they, you know, on that golf course out there where Pootie was living, there was all those condos where, you know, kind of friends and family of Willie's over times have kind of stayed and lived there. And um, he said, he invited me over to stay. And he said, you know, I got a big group of people coming over in the morning. We're all going to play golf, but, he goes, just feel free to make yourself at home and sleep in or whatever. And I said, thanks. You know, I'll probably get up in the morning and head out. And well, I, I stayed the night, and the next morning, a big rainstorm had rolled in. So all these guys that were going to play golf ended up just in the living room hanging out. And I remember I woke up on the, he had this huge couch. It just, gosh, it had to have been 20 feet long. 
and it kind of wrapped around the whole room. And I woke up, I was curled up in kind of one corner of the couch. I'm kind of a little guy, you know, I was just kind of curled up there at the end. And I get up and there's this great big guy sitting next to me with a beard and he's tapping me on the shoulder and he's got the biggest joint I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and he wakes me up and he hands me a joint. And I look up and there's probably 20 people sitting in the living room. And every one of them had a, you know, had a joint. And every one of them, everybody was smiling. Was, I woke up and I was so stoned, I'd been better off driving home drunk the night before because I wasn't going anywhere for a while. So I kind of woke up and I was stoned. I ended up having to stay there for a while. And then come around the afternoon, I met this guy that they called Lovey. And uh, his real name was Ben Dorsey. And he's been on kind of a roadie with Willie for, gosh, I don't from. I don't know how long, forever. This guy's kind of been around for a long time. And Lovey was, had a condo kind of right there in that same kind of complex. And uh, he had some, like, water damage that would happen in, the, in his apartment there, and they were looking for somebody to fix it. And I'd been doing some work like that. And I was like, shit, I'll stick around and fix it. So I stuck around for a couple of days and kind of fixed up and painted and redid his place. And he had also had every T-shirt and every piece of clothing from every movie that he had ever been in for like the past 40 years or something. Every, every Willie Nelson T-shirt that was ever printed, he had one of them. But he had them all just like piled up in the corner on the floor. And uh, so I built him some shelves and, and folded all the clothes and put all the stuff. He had cowboy boots and hats and leather fringe jacket. I mean, just... And, suede bell bottom i mean just all kinds of stuff and uh for doing like the work in his house i think they gave me like 50 bucks and they gave me a pair of like those bell bottoms and a pair of boots and a, <laughs> and one of those willie <laughs> willie whalen shirts from the 70s <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't have a vehicle for a long time and i had a friend of mine that let me me and my drummer, this guy named Matthew Smith, that we were just a two-piece at the time when it was really starting out. And a friend of ours let us borrow this old white Ford pickup that he had. And we'd gotten a gig in Lafayette, Louisiana, opening up for Billy Joe Schaefer. Um, it was in the middle of the summer. Again, it was hot, you know, just hotter and shit. And um, we'd been driving around a bit in this truck. without It didn't have AC, no radio, nothing in it. And so we'd ride around in our underwear, and we'd made, gotten these spray bottles. We'd fill up with water, and we could spray each other down to stay cool, you know, and get the windows down, <laughs> and, like have bandanas and stuff like that. Well, we'd got the bright idea that we were going to hook up this uh, uh, window unit air conditioner in the, <laughs> in the truck. <laughs> and my Matt's brother, they were all pretty handy guys with motorcycles and cars and, you know, mechanics and stuff like that. They could fix a lot of stuff. So they spent, like, all morning wiring up this window unit air conditioner in the back seat of this truck. I mean, all morning, you know, they were trying to rig it up to the battery and all this stuff. And then we get we didn't leave, like, at noon. And uh, we got into that, that – uh, that truck and it had a remote control and we didn't make it one block down the street and it blew up. <laughs> didn't make it. But we made it to the gig in uh in Lafayette and we ended up meeting this guy at the at the show and it was we'd I'd, I'd met him met him like maybe once or so before this gig and he had come out there to see us play and he saw that we were driving around in this old truck and he's like, Man, you guys are touring in that truck and I said, Yeah. You know, why not? He's like, whew, that's pretty rough, you know. And by the end of the show, he's like, he said, man, I got something for you in, in Houston. He goes, 
I want you to stop in Houston on your on your way back to Austin. And we just kind of blew him off, you know, like, oh yeah, cool, whatever, man. And that next day we were driving back and I was like, man, I'm gonna I'm gonna call this, this guy we met last night and see what he was talking about. And I called him up and he said, Yeah, he said, this he said, I got a friend that's on this exit off on so and so exit and my buddy is gonna be waiting there for you and just follow him over to the warehouse. And all already I'm thinking something's weird going on, you know. And uh sure enough we pull over at this exit and meet this guy and we drive back over to this warehouse and there's this like a kind of fairly new looking suburban out there, you know, all shiny and kind of real nice suburban. This guy walks in, throws me the keys and says, you know, our buddy Jim said to just drive it into the ground. He said to take it and uh, and he left. And we're like, we're sitting there and we didn't know if it was some kind of, you know, is it loaded down with drugs or something? <laughs> we're going to get, you know, <laughs> you know kidnapped or whatever pulled over whenever we get back to austin but uh we just we flipped the coin to see who was going to get to drive the suburban and who was driving the truck back to austin and drove it back and that became our tour vehicle for the next five years we toured in that old suburban and uh it was just pretty amazing and i kind of took me a long time to get to this part of the story we played in uh in Del Rio, Texas for New Year's Eve, and then we were heading up to up north, like to Colorado for a music festival after that. And we were trying to get to where we're Park City, Utah, to play a gig with Reckless Kelly. And the, so the transmission had already gone out on us like a couple of times in the suburban, and we were having hell. And we left Del Rio in the middle of the night, drove all day into the next night, and we were going through somewhere by like the Grand Canyon or something. It was like three in the morning and the transmission went out again. And we were kind of just in the middle of nowhere. No cell, no phone service, no nothing. All we had was like three or four cases of Lone Star beer, I think. And uh, I remember just kind of the, it started dying and we pulled over the side of the road and, and we sat there for like an hour and we were just basically like, whatever, you know, I guess we'll just wait here till somebody comes along and finds us. We just started drinking beer in the bar ditch and having a party, and uh, and then I was like, "Man, let's let's just give it one more one more shot, you know, one more try." And uh, I got in, and started up, and tried, and everybody was pushing it just to try to get momentum. And we got it rolling, and it got into gear. And I was like, "Jump in! Like we're not stopping. We're just gonna keep going." And we never, we would just stop for gas, but you know, we'd always leave it running and just kind of put it in neutral and just kind of get it back into gear. <laughs> And we made it to Park City, Utah, and right as we were pulling in to the venue, the transmission just went totally out, fried. But we made it. We made it to the gig, and we were like, yeah, we made it. So that was kind of always our motto anyway. We'd just go till we'd break down, and then we'd try to play enough to make money to get to the next town. And we stayed there for like a week, (laughs) trying to make enough money to get to the next spot, and then kept on going, you know. No, this is it, man. Uh, we got a couple of shows here in Austin, and then uh, I'm headed home for a little bit. We 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 got some more stuff coming up. I got some, a couple like one-off festivals. I think we're playing in Phoenix next weekend, and uh, a festival up in Santa Cruz. And then in the summer, we're doing a, a run of dates up through like Wyoming and Montana and, and uh, Colorado. And uh, so we'll stay busy, but just kind of more kind of festivals and stuff over the summer. Thank you.
little bit of horse riding in your future? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'll probably get up in the mountains and disappear for a few days. What's your horse's name? Uh, his name's Hatch. Hatch? Yeah. <laughs> oh. Came from New Mexico, and there's that, you know, that town, Hatch, New Mexico, they make the Hatch green chilies. Yeah. And I was driving home through there, and just kind of stuck. <laughs> I appreciate you chatting with me, man. Yeah, man, appreciate it. Great to meet up with you in a hotel room. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to thank everybody for listening in, and I'd like to thank Ryan for meeting up with me in a hotel room here in Austin, Texas. You can find out everything you need to know about Ryan at ryanbinghammusic.com. If you'd like to help support this show, just go to otisgibbs.com and you can pick up a CD, a t-shirt, you can download any record I've ever made, you can buy one of my photographic prints, you can buy one of Amy's records, you can buy one of Amy's children's books, but anything that you buy... We'll mail from our living room to yours, and we'll even put in a little thank you note. If you'd like to help out but you're a little short on cash, just go to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. Leave a comment. Subscribe while you're there, and you'll get a brand new episode free as soon as it's available. But if you enjoy this show, or you enjoy my music, or you enjoy Amy's music, please take the time to tell a friend and help us spread the word. And if you'd like to send us a message, we'd love to hear from you. Just send it to info at otisgibbs.com. I'm Otis Gibbs. Thanks for giving a damn.